Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hey, so welcome to another exciting episode of the Open World Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Flood, recording from Bangkok today, and I'm joined by Kavit Haria in London. Kavit, welcome to the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. So a little bit about Kavit here. He has founded the website InsiderInternetSuccess.com, where he has a mission to help people become successful entrepreneurs and transform the world through entrepreneurship. And to date, he has, uh, well, he's, he's a specialist at helping people to set up automated businesses on the web, online businesses that he says hit 100,000 by the end of their first year and 147 success stories so far of entrepreneurs that he's worked with and helped them to meet this goal. So I'm really excited to speak with him. So, Kavit, perhaps you could introduce yourself and tell me a bit about your backstory. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty loaded question in itself. But <laughs> I, um, let's see, I, I basically started uh, my career, if you like, as a musician. And uh, I started playing an instrument called the tabla from a very young age. I come from an Indian background, so I'm born in the UK. My parents are born in Africa, but my grandparents are born in India, and we have this whole channel of migration, if you like. But I'm born in the UK, uh, I, so it makes me a British Indian, as what we call it here. But I started at a very young age to learn how to play the tabla. A tabla is a North Indian drum, a fascinating instrument. And uh, it's a percussion instrument, and you play it with your fingers as opposed to your palms, you know, like the bongos or the congos, which are generally played with the all the fingers together or the top of the palms, but these are actually hit with your fingers. So it's quite an intricate instrument. Uh, some of the greatest drummers in the world have called it the most uh, difficult percussion instrument. Should you learn how to play the tabla, you should be able to learn how to play everything else. So I was pretty pumped to be able to call myself a tabla player. I've been playing for nearly 17 years. I got to the point in about 2004 where, you know, I really wanted to take this instrument and play with other styles of music. I didn't just want to be the tabla player in the UK that played tabla with Indian music. I wanted to fuse it with Eastern music, uh, Western music, guitars, jazz, drums, pianos, mix it up with all styles of music even. Um, And as great as that dream was, it was really a difficult thing to do because so many people uh, were struggling uh, with the idea, musicians specifically, with the idea that they would come and work and practice with me, but they had no gigs at the end of to show for it or no recording to show for it. First of all, I didn't have any money to pay them to record. And second, I couldn't get any deal to sort that out. So these people, obviously, the way the musicians work is that you get paid when you perform or when you play. And um, musicians also are an extremely... uh, um, They come from a mindset of scarcity, you know, where they make very little money, and I guess because they make very little money, they have this scarcity mindset. Or because they have the scarcity mindset, they make little money whichever way around you want to look at it. But the idea is that if I take up this time to practice with you, then what if something comes along and then I have to take that because, you know, I'll lose that because I'm getting paid for that, etc., etc. So I struggled a lot. I struggled with self-confidence. I, lo- I struggled with self-worth issues. I struggled with not knowing what I needed to do to really get myself out there. And I really wanted to play music. 
So six months down the line, I started to go to the library. I found a mentor online, and he told me to study everything I could, could around this idea of marketing. And he said that if there's one thing that you really need to be really good at, even as a musician, even better if you like than your art, it's to be able to promote and market. Maybe not yourself, but your item, your brand, whatever that is. So I learned everything I could about marketing, and it dawned on me at that time that knowing this was, if you like, the biggest driver for the various different things I was about to embark on, from going out and getting gig after gig, week after week, three times a week for eight months, playing all around this this country and even other countries uh, and in different continents, uh, to playing on the biggest stages, you know, at the Royal Albert Hall with Jimmy Page, to recording album after album uh, for other people, uh, to getting into the press. All of this stuff that came my way in the years that followed came from this one little lesson that says, learn and become really good at marketing. And when I think about what exactly I did, I learned at that time that the most important thing that I had to do was to find a way for people to come together as a community or to belong and and create a community where people love music. And when you create a community where people love music, uh, and then you become the center of that place, if you like, all the opportunities are going to come to you. So I started to think a little bit more about that. And then in 2006, I started, uh, after all that short period of success that I had, if you like, for, for three or four years, uh, a lot of people started asking musicians specifically, how was I doing the things that I was doing, and what was I doing specifically to get gigs, to sell more music, to get more promotion, to build my MySpace fan bases online, you know, and all those interesting things. And so I started to coach a lot of people. And I was sitting down over coffee telling them, hey, this is a strategy I use. It's called zone booking. It helps me get a lot of gigs. Uh, this is how it works, and you can go and do it. Uh, and, you know, they would report back to say, yeah, they picked up a couple more gigs, a few more gigs in this place and that place. And all of that was really great. But when I look back, you know, after a few weeks or even a few months at that time, here I was doing this day after day, a few hours every day, coaching musicians and recommendations were coming to me of other people that may want to speak with me. And it was great that I was doing something that was valuable, but the whole point of my career at the time was to play music. And so when I, I, I was coaching instead of playing music and all my time went into that, and that kind of excited me, but it also drained me. It excited me about the potential that this could really have uh, if I started to think in different ways of removing myself you know, because all of all, all this information is there, but it also worried me and drained me because I didn't really have time to practice and practice is the code word to success, if you like, as a musician. So what happened after that, Danny, was that I basically decided that I've got all this information and knowledge and experience that I've built up from being in the music business. I've got to do something with it. And I had a friend at the time that was selling health eBooks. And he was basically producing books about different topics and how to cure these, you know, diseases naturally. And he said to me, why don't you take all your knowledge and do exactly the same thing? Put it in a format where somebody could buy it time and time again, and you don't have to be there telling them the exact same thing, especially as you're repeating all the information. And so that's when I f sat down to create my very first ebook. And I mean, I don't know how much detail you want to jump into here, but, you know, that was five years in that, in that business, insider music business, which, you know, I created five ebooks, I created DVD programs, CD programs, I created membership sites, um, and it all, you know, especially um, um, the coaching programs, adding the back end to it, if you like, took that entire business to six and nearly seven figures 
um, year after year. And the critical thing for me was that I learned how to automate that entire business. I learned how to put into place marketing follow-up, marketing systems, if you like, that would allow people to get communication from me wherever they are, whenever they joined our journey, and they would build a huge um, um, vault of information, if you like, that would then allow them to go ahead and buy some of the stuff that I was selling. And the real test came in about 2009. I jumped that story quite a bit because I'm not sure, you know, maybe you'll pick out some questions you want to ask from there. But I jumped that story to 2009 where I decided that I really wanted to go traveling. I mean, I I jumped into this business by default from the things that I'd learned and the situations that I put myself in, but really I wanted to go traveling. And so I decided that this was the year. And so 2009, 2010, I traveled for a whole year uh, all around the world, essentially. And I, at that time, was also in this place in my mind where this business was great, it was making good money, but it wasn't as exciting as things that uh, seemed to crop up for me or for other people that I, that I was surrounded by. So I decided that I built this team, I built these systems, I'm going to let it run. I'm going to check in on my email a few times uh, as I travel and see if there's any issues to take care of. Otherwise, I'm just going to let the business do what the business does. And instead of checking in once every week as I planned to, I probably ended up checking my email once every three or four weeks, essentially mainly to get on and write a massive email to my family and friends about where I am, what I've been doing, some great pictures. Uh, But in that time, I also checked my email for my work. And my assistants had emailed me, you know, of course, and there was all these emails to go through. And I went through all of them. But there was no major issue, no major complaint. And when I came back and I looked at our finances and our books like six to eight months later, I had in front of me uh, the exact same revenue that I had made the year before when I was actually working in the business. And that for me was a critical moment because I'd learned to that point that I knew or I'd figured out what was really important to marketing a business and, se- and selling the products in the business and then putting all of that into systems. And when I say systems, I mean either tools and automation or finding the right people to, to fill their shoes and do those things. Is there anything more you want to add? I basically came back and I was invited to speak at uh, various different uh, conferences uh, in the UK purely about this idea of marketing automation and how I built this business. And after that, I started to sit back and think about, well, I've got to do something else that excites me more. You know, I've got to find what it is that really makes me come alive because I felt like I'd done all this work, but I hadn't really found that thing that makes me come alive yet. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't wake up and be like, this is the, 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 the best day in my life yet, and I'm going to go ahead and do something magical. And so I thought about, you know, let me just do what I'm really good at. And what I was good at was creating courses. So I, and also I developed these skills such as email marketing and publishing books and stuff like that. So I created courses around those and I sold them on webinars. Um, and, I, you know, each course was $1,000. They would get four or five different videos in a course. They would learn everything they needed to do. They could just go ahead and action and, and they would buy the course for $1,000. And in order to buy the course, they'd be invited to a webinar where they'd watch you know, 60 minutes of me presenting and then an offer to, to purchase the course. In 2012, I did, um, not 2012, 2011, I did 300 webinars, essentially, just around 300 webinars, presenting offer after offer, webinar after webinar. And I had joint venture partners. I made a lot of money doing that. But again, I fell into the same trap because people were buying this, these courses. And of course, what you do with a book when you buy a book is what you do with a course when you buy a course, which is you flick through it. If you find something you like, you do something with it. In most cases, people don't have the time to even find something they like. And so they just put it on the shelf for a day that they'll read it. And that day usually never comes. And so 
a lot of people bought these courses and didn't do much with them. And so, you know, in, in my opinion, I made great money and I could still have been doing that. But I wasn't fulfilled by the idea that nobody was using this stuff and I wasn't creating fast enough the success stories that I wanted. And I realized that what I had to do was go back to what was really the biggest passion for me, which is actually sitting down with somebody and saying, what is your idea and how do we turn that into a business model that's actually going to be predictable, repeatable, scalable and work on the web? And so that's what led me to turn that entire model on its, on its head in 2012 uh, and what we call automated business system today and for the last three years has been a, is a 12-month journey uh, that any business idea could go on, any person with a business idea could go on to figure out their pricing, positioning, marketing, sales strategies, turn them, put them all into a business model, then have that entire business model built for them. In our company, we do all that work for the client simply because we want that client to be to move a lot quicker to go ahead and build their business. But at the same time, we want to take away all the technical um, turmoil, if you like, that, that, that uh, holds people back from taking action in the very best way possible. So we do all of the implementation, and then we really coach and mentor and guide them till they get, in their very first year, to six figures in income and revenue. And that's our program, Automated Business System. And that's where I am today. If I look at it, uh, does it make me come alive? Do I get up really excited to, um, to work on something that is really firing me up and, and it's pumping me? Uh, I do. And that, that's what brings me to – that's why we're here talking about this, simply because that's something that really excites me. And for me, that's, uh, I think, a measure of, uh, of success. Well, you have the record for uh, the most interesting uh, introduction there on the show so far. <laughs> and, very, very, very. But, uh, I, you know, I, I'm one of those people that uh, it's hard for me to stay still. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just want to add that I've also played – you mentioned it's a tableau, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I also uh, have played the – I've taken classes on West African drums, which has uh, three notes that you play with your fingers. The, so, the bass tone and slap, the djembe. Exactly, the bass tone and slap, yes. <laughs> Fantastic. So that seems to be a common theme that we hear. Uh, when we spoke to Jesse Krieger in episode 45, he also mentioned that he was a musician. Uh, he really wanted to follow his passion, and through a sort of natural evolution, that led him to absorbing everything he could about marketing. Uh, so let me ask you, how long has this journey been? When did you start? Well, I started to play when I was nine years old. Okay, so uh, everything was, that you just mentioned there was, was about, uh, how old are you now? I'm 30. Okay, so about 20 years in the making then, right? Right, right. So one other thing I want to ask you is, you seem very confident now, but you mentioned that you weren't very confident when you started out. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so confidence is, I mean, I'm not going to say that I am, I am, I have never suffered from lack of confidence, I, I, not just in that one episode. You know, I think confidence is one of those things that comes with clarity. Okay. Uh, and I'm, I'm a very strong believer about that. And actually, I think there are four C's. We could go into the four C's. I've actually for a while <laughs> thought there's only three C's, but in my current thinking and in my current growth, things change, and I actually believe that uh, there are four C's. I'll run you through them. Sure. The first thing is that the clarity of your vision determines the level of your success. Okay. Like the more clear you are about anything in life, whether it's what project you're working on, uh, your travel plan, your business plan, your family plan, whatever it is, the, 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 the more clear you are about whatever it is you want to do, the more successful you're going to be. Simply because 
you have within you the power of that vision that you can drive that's compelling you. The second C is, is confidence. And when you get clarity, you begin to get confidence. There's just no way to stop that incredible rush of confidence up your spine that excites you and compels you to be better than you've ever been when you have clarity. And the beauty about these two things is that when you get confidence, you also get more clarity. Like it's, it, you know, you just get to this point where you're more, you're excited, you're strong, you believe in yourself, you have faith in yourself, you don't doubt yourself as much. That gives you the ability to believe in your plans and therefore question deeper about what it is that you really want to do, which delves into more clarity. And so when you have clarity and confidence together, you start to develop courage. And courage is an, an ex, especially interesting one because courage is the antidote to fear. And I really believe, seriously believe, that everybody has fear when they build a business, whether they're starting up, whether they're actually before the startup stage, whether they're starting up, whether they're in the you know growing to a million dollar stage, whether they're going from the million dollars to ten million, or whether they're going up to a hundred and beyond, there's fear inherently in all the different areas of of the growth process, and so the business owner faces fear. But the one that has clarity and confidence has courage. And when he has courage, he makes better decisions. He makes better, more effective, powerful decisions that actually lead the way to the result, as opposed to being under so much pressure that the pressure breaks you. And when you have courage, the fourth C in this whole thing is certainty. Because the moment you have courage and you act from a place of courage, which is coming from a place of clarity and confidence, this courage allows you to be certain. And when you have certainty in your heart, certainty is essentially, if you think about certainty, when somebody says the word certainty or uses the word certainty, or I'm absolutely certain, or that phrase in a sentence, they are talking about 100%. Because you cannot be 85% certain. I really don't believe that. You can't be 50% certain. You are 100%. When you use the word certainty without a number, if you like, you're 100% certain. And when you're 100% certain, it means that for that certainty to be there, there is absolutely no space and no room for doubt. So these things all come together, I think, and are critical for having anybody get to a place in a, in a system, if you like, uh, where they can be extremely powerful and successful. And uh, yeah, that, those are the yeah. four seats. <laughs> that was a great answer. You remind me of, I was listening to an interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he was also asked where his confidence came from, and he said that it comes from his vision. The way that he describes his vision when he was doing competitive bodybuilding, he would see himself standing on the podium victorious, holding a trophy with all of the other bodybuilders looking up to him. It seemed like he had all four of those C's kind of built in to his answer. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I like that. <laughs> All right, so let's talk business. You make a pretty bold guarantee on your website. You say that you can help any entrepreneur get to six figures in 12 months. How are you able to have such certainty that you can get pretty much anyone who enrolls in your program to that point? Well, we've taken 147 people through the process in three years so far to date. Uh, two people have not made the success that they aimed for, and that is because one of them is a personal reason for that person who pulled out. Uh, of our 12-month process, and the second one just didn't do anything. You're going to get people like that. But the reason that we run our service like this, you know, if you sell a course, you get a lot more people that buy it and don't do anything. We only have one person who's done that in 100 and, out of 157, if you like, simply because um, they are 
if you like, uh, the, the whole system, the whole process is designed to hold somebody accountable throughout. I mean, we have, we, it's literally a team of people that are working on somebody's idea. So they're checking in with that person all the time. And the person gets, the client gets to check in with us all the time. You can see work going on. When there's movement and when there's uh, energy in motion, if you like, um, and somebody's building a dream of their own here, you get to see that there's no way that this doesn't happen. So whenever there's action and action follows a successful business model, then there's always going to be a result. And so that's why I'm, you know, it's, it's not really difficult for me to make that claim simply because we've seen the results. We get them every week, time and time or again. And most importantly, we're taking charge of that person's business by building it for them. So we know that we're doing all of that work. All that person's got to do is learn and commit themselves to learning marketing with us and then holding and we hold them accountable with their goals to make sure they're moving closer to it. Okay, so 147 success stories in three years. You've obviously systemized this process. Um, can you walk me through the process of how you work with your clients? Can you break it down into steps, like what you focus on most? Sure. So the 12-month process is broken down into three critical stages. The first stage we call strategic discovery. And strategic discovery is essentially all about nailing the best idea or refining the current idea into the very best idea, and then sitting down to draw out how that business idea will map out onto a skeleton. And the skeleton of a sales funnel is made up of four critical areas. It's made up of the lead generation, the lead capture, the lead nurturing, and the lead conversion. And every business idea that we get, we map out onto this skeleton, and then we start to build the various different design or think about the various different elements that are involved in lead generation, the different bits that are involved in capturing people's information, the different bits that are involved in nurturing those leads into actual sales. And so we sit down, we think about marketing strategies, sales strategies, positioning strategies, pricing strategies. A lot of people come and they've tried to build a business on their, their own, and they've tried all sorts of different things. And we sit down and we have this meeting and we talk about the strategic discovery and we look at all these different things. And then you see in their eyes that, they and, and they say also that, yes, we've been doing this and this, but we missed that piece and we missed that piece. What this process does is it brings everything together holistically and you're being led by somebody else so you don't miss another bit in your business. And then we get this perfect business model, if you like, that we think is going to be going to work. We, we're testing a little bit of it where it's predictable, repeatable and scalable. And we go ahead and then that's stage one complete. Stage two is six weeks, and in six weeks, we take everything we discussed in that first period and we build it. We have a, team, we have a project manager who leads the entire building project, then working with the developer, the designer, the writer, the email writer, the sales writer, the proofreader, uh, the content creator, all of those different uh, people that need to work on a business come together with a project manager and build this absolutely big business. And when I say big, I mean there's loads of different parts to it, but really it's a very lean business. And all the automation is taken care of, all the swipes, the email, the nurturing, the everything is built basically. So in six weeks, at the end of that period, uh, this client now has a fully functional business they are happy with on the web that is automated. Now, when we think of the scales funnels and scales, scales skeleton, remember there's lead nurturing, there's lead capture, lead nurturing, and lead conversion. We automate all three of those areas. And then the only manual work that's really required for a business is the lead generation, which is actually getting people to the website. So once we finish stage two, we move into stage three. 
And stage three is made up of a couple of uh, key areas. The first of it is um, a marketing roadmap planning session in which we sit down for a couple of hours and we really plan every single marketing tactic that needs to be done by this business in order for this business to start delivering leads to their website. And that includes content marketing, social media, paid advertising, and partnerships. And so we think about all the different things this person could be working on. They brainstorm and they make a list of all the things we put together a roadmap, things they've got to do every day, every week, every fortnight, every month, every quarter. And uh, all of this stuff, then, you know, wherever that person lacks ideas and training, if you like, or lacks skill, we have a training portal which has video after video that they get. Um, which they can watch. So if they want to learn how to do Facebook ads, we have a training on that. If they want to learn how to write better emails, we have a training on that. And so all that training, if you like, again, in the same way that I had learned from the beginning with the music business, is that it duplicates a lot of work. It takes care of a lot of duplication. So after the marketing roadmap session, then the clients join us on a call that lasts usually an hour and a half to two hours every single, every single week, once a week. Uh, where we have a, a training segment, and then we do Q&A and coaching with every single client. So every client is getting their personal coaching, uh, moving them uh, towards uh, getting the answers they need for the questions they have, but also moving them towards their goals and their marketing plan. And then the third segment is that we schedule a quarterly meeting with the client. So you know, every three months, a one-to-one private meeting to really look at their marketing plan, look at what results they've achieved so far, and look at where they're going. And that really just brings us up to the end of 12 months, extremely action-packed for the client, and they've got to the point where they're now building this uh, powerful business here. What are some of the big wins involved as far as uh, marketing is concerned where it comes to getting their initial clients to scaling up to a 100,000-a-year business? Yeah, good question. And I think the success of marketing relies on this one word, another C, called consistency. And... Anybody in marketing will tell you, anyone successful in marketing rather, will tell you that the reason their marketing worked uh, is not just behind the genius of their writing and their headlines and you know their, their ads and, and stuff like that. It's because they're consistent about it. I mean, even, you put, even if you put up an ad, you put up an ad today and tomorrow you look at it, great, it's running. The day after you look at it and you see, okay, it's not working as well as I thought, you go make a tweak and you do it. But if you left that for a week, you'd have lost a lot of money before you waited for it. And you probably wouldn't have got to the result a lot quicker than you could have if you're staying on top of it and being consistent. Using Twitter, for example, and sharing and building community by posting great stuff on Twitter is not going to work unless you're consistent. Promoting your emails and and writing your newsletter is not going to work unless you follow your very consistent um, strategy, your very consistent system of writing emails regularly in the days that you do it and how often you do it. So you have to... As, a, as the owner of a business, ensure that whether you're doing your marketing or you're paying somebody else to do it or you're putting a system in place to do it, the consistency is there. Otherwise, don't do it. Wait until you can be consistent and then do it. Otherwise, you're simply just wasting a lot of time. So consistency is the reason I think that a lot of people quickly uh, get up to the six-figure mark. First of all, they have incredible enthusiasm, energy, and are motivated to build their business because they're investing in our system and they're investing in themselves. So they have that, and they know that we're there to hold them accountable. Um, We have people in our team that actually are student coordinators. Their job is literally just to stay on and make sure our students are happy throughout the whole process. If we can do that, we know that 
our students will be con- or our clients will be connected with us throughout. They'll never feel like they're alone. They'll never feel like there are questions unanswered, and they'll never feel like uh, they've been let on on their own, and therefore, oh, they lose their motivation. So having that strong network community is really also very important to making sure you getting you're getting yourself out there. So consistency network uh, are all important, but really what it comes down to is as you start doing your marketing, you're going to know what works. So if you do 10 things, you're going to know that out of those 10 things, there are two or three things that are producing the bulk of the result. You have to be smart enough to know what those things are, identify them, and then amplify them. And when you amplify those those two or three things that work really, really well, uh, you're going to see that your results will go up and you'll drop the things that aren't working very well. You can think of this as the 80-20 rule, the Pareto's law, which is that you know, 20% of the stuff you do produces 80% of the result. But if you're not smart enough to even notice that, then you're wasting 80% of your time doing what you think is producing 80% of the results, but it's not. And so that's how you can really scale up a lot quicker when you're smart enough and to, to look at what's working. Okay, so one is it's a lot of testing. You have to test different ideas. And two is um, you really have to be persistent once you find something that works. You have to be consistent and I think that a lot of entrepreneurs perhaps uh, they have that shiny object syndrome where they'll they'll test one thing and maybe it doesn't work initially, and then they'll test something else and then you know it doesn't work initially, so that they they kind of just give up and they don't really have that consistency that you mentioned. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, perfect, perfect syndrome thing or or shiny or object this. syndrome. <laughs> shiny object syndrome thing is so yeah. um, prevalent. It's it's like a plague, you know. I mean, the number of people that jump from one thing to another simply because they feel like they failed. Yet if you go and ask them how many times they tried, one, two, maybe three times in the very rare instance, I mean, you're going to fail more times than you succeed. There's no doubt about that. Mm. But you are you willing to stand up and be relentless and say, I'm going to keep going because I know that this is what I want to achieve? How many times did you know Thomas Edison fail before he actually succeeded with the light bulb? Or even, or even Colonel Saunders, you know, with the with the with the chicken. It's just um, these are uh, these are stories we know, you know, and they're not new stories. And I'm not showing them, but they are so powerful in that. At the end of the day, you know, how many times are you going to be able to stand up and say, uh, "I am going to to make this work no matter what," and and push away all the shiny object syndrome? And by the way, if you want to learn how to cure the shiny object syndrome, in my opinion, I think it it uh, the solution is in your inbox. And that is not the newsletters that you get that actually sell you the shiny object, but the ones that you, for you to go in there and literally unsubscribe from all of them. And there are two quick tools I'm going to share, I think, which I think are really useful. One of them is called unroll.me. It's a website, unroll.me. You literally go there and you log in uh, with your Gmail or whatever it is that you use, and it will show you all the people that you have subscribed to. And in literally click after click, in one click, you can unsubscribe. I mean, their tagline for their website is unsubscribe with one click. And you can unsubscribe from every single newsletter, whether you've got the newsletter in your inbox or not, just because it shows you who's going to come. And you'll immediately go from thousands, if you get thousands, all the way down to the critical one or two that you want to really, really read. And that's it. And then the other tool that I'm absolutely loving is called SaneBox. And... uh I can give you a link if you want to to share it in your notes after this. But SaneBox.com is a fantastic little tool that you can go and sign up to. uh, And it will immediately learn your habits in your email and keep your most important email at the top 
and get rid of the other ones into the black hole so you never see it again or the news folder so it's for news and for later when you actually have an hour free on a Sunday or whatever or your later inbox for something that it sees that you're not really needing to respond to right now. It goes into your later inbox. Whatever it is, um, that tool saves you time. In the last, I mean, I got a report on Sunday. I get a report every Sunday for how much time it estimates that I've actually saved. Uh, It told me that I've saved... (laughs) Um, 10.6 hours just this last week in my email inbox, the way that uh, it works, the way it's, it's doing what it's doing, which is fantastic. Really, really, really awesome. And so I definitely, and that brings us to a a bigger concept where you're being very uh, selective with your information intake. And I think that's, uh, one of the key differentiators that separates people who do versus people who dream is, you know, how selective they are with their time and, uh, what they feed their mind with, I say, I would say. Yeah, what you do versus what you dream. Fan- fantastic, great way of putting it. Also, and um, you there's. Also, uh, you also mentioned uh, Colonel Sanders. I like that. Uh, you know, he was over. He was over sixty years old, I think, when he started KFC. So that's a perfect example of persistence as well that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I like I like uh, Chet Holmes, the late Chet Holmes. He wrote a book called The Ultimate Sales Machine. Fantastic book. Uh, but the way he, the words he uses in that book are phenomenal also. And he calls it, uh, this specific thing that we're talking about here, he calls it pig-headed discipline. And to have that, you know, focused, laser, pointy approach, if you like, to staying exactly on the target of, of what it is that you're discussing and thinking about, and having that discipline to stay on track is, is what's going to make sure that you don't fall for these shiny objects and you stay your course all the way up to six figures or beyond even. Fantastic. So we just kind of covered all of the success characteristics of entrepreneurs there. Persistence, tenacity, discipline, focus. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I want to well, go back. All, so all, of them, I think, all of them I think you'll find makeup or essentially the genetic makeup, if you like, or the, the success makeup for any of these successful people that we look at today and, and read and, and hear about. Yeah, exactly. My father was an entrepreneur and he would always say the same you know, things. He would say that you know, cream always rises to the top. Um, Quitters never win, winners never quit, that kind of stuff. So fun stuff indeed. Uh, I want to talk about some of these case studies that you mentioned, some of the clients that you've worked with. Uh, tell me about some of these businesses, and I'm also interested to know what uh, – we talked about marketing, but so tell me about some of the ways that they scaled up and, uh, and, and how they did it, You know, whether it's webinars, email marketing. Uh, throw out some examples for me here. Yeah, sure. I have a client who's a um, in the UK. She is somebody who, in her personal life, has gone through various different mishaps. If you like, you know, she struggled. She has two kids. She's a single mother. She's been divorced. She works at a very um, successful post in a school as a head teacher. Um, but she's somebody who she feels is trapped. And so, as a woman who, you know, worked her way through that entire process and created some sort of freedom in, for herself. She figured out what she needed to do to go from trapped to transformed. And in the same process that she did that, in the same way she did that, she helped a couple of her friends do the same as well. So she wanted to put together a course where she could, and she was also training to be a coach. So she also wanted to put together a course and a process and a business where she could help people do this properly and actually formulate what she was actually doing. So the first thing we did was help her come up with her product. And her product is a six-week um, video and group coaching process where people can go through this system that she's created, the change method, if you like, 
uh, called uh, it, called Trapped to Transformed, and she would take them through a process step by step, week after week, to get them to this position. And so the first thing we did is figured out the product. We then figured out how we're going to deliver the product. So every week would have a video that's pre-recorded, created, plus a live coaching call with this lady. And um, she was targeting females. Uh, she was targeting people that are doing very well but still feel trapped in life and in their family life, in their work life, in their careers, whatever it is. And the way we decided to sell that was by webinar. So we decided that we're going to build a completely automated webinar funnel uh, where people would register for a webinar, join this lady on a 60-minute presentation, get some fantastic value, and she would then make her offer for her program. And she would then have people, um, whether they attend the webinar or they didn't attend the webinar, they get a separate series of emails based on that. So if they missed it, they get a series of emails that direct them to watch it. And if they watched it, they get a series of emails that direct them to follow up in order to actually buy the course. So here she is selling the course at uh, $499 and she's selling it off a webinar. She's doing pretty well. And she's now going on to run meetup groups. Uh, she's thinking of other events you can do, a weekend workshop with these people. Uh, and that's a business that she set up. Very simple, lean business, all about the automated funnel, selling her course, and then her course being delivered via a membership site, a drip feed membership site. So what, that's What was the what, course focus again? Uh, could you tell me that? What was that? Uh, what was the, the focus of the course again? Uh, helping women... Uh, go from trapped to transformed. Oh, from trapped to transformed. Okay. Yeah. And so here's somebody who, if you think about scale, she's running the coaching calls as a group. So she can get, you know, up to a thousand people on a webinar really in, in effect. But even if she didn't want to go that big, she could still do it with 40, 50 people. Uh, and then she is selling the videos get delivered by drip feed automation inside a membership site. And all she's got to do is run the automated webinar, which she offers once a day at different times. And you can go to the website, choose the webinar you want to join, if you like, and, and watch it. And so the scalability of that is that she's completely out of the picture all the way, even including the delivery, and only in the the group calls, if you like, is she joining every every week, once a week, for an hour, an hour and a half, taking questions and coaching people. Otherwise, she's out of it. So all of that is, is if you like, predictable, scalable, r repeatable revenue. And then she now has to think about which way she wants to go with her business. Another client I'll tell you about is in the health business, and she's a medical doctor. Uh, and so she is, you know, for years, has been helping people with all of their different health issues. And now she realizes and she wants to uh, teach people how to do things naturally, how to actually forget drugs and, and, and all of that for a while and actually figure out how you can lose weight by just understanding and learning a little bit about your body. And if you know how your body works, you should be able to understand how to lose weight and what you need to do and what motivates and drives you and the needs that you have to do to be able to do that. So um, she basically has got on to create a course again online, uh, a 12-week course delivered by Drip Feed, and she sells that off a sales letter on a website as well as a webinar that she's created so she has two little funnels that sell that. She gives away a free uh, report at her website, uh, which people can go and get. So that's the capture. The nurturing is an email series and the webinar, and the conversion is the sale process, which is the sales page and the order page. So, And then all she's got to do in the skeleton, if you like, is do the lead generation, which she does with podcasts, which she does by being interviewed as a guest and on podcasts, and she does by getting on uh, and doing Facebook advertising uh, and stuff like that. 
So there's a two little examples. Again, scalability because they're they're growing their business and stuff like that. Another client is selling supplements, by the way. There's lots and lots I can go through, but I'm just trying to give you a little variety here. Another client in the U.S. is selling uh, dog supplements, hip and joint relief supplements for dogs. That's that's how niched it is. And they're advertising on Facebook. They're doing their blogging. They've got massive dog-related fan pages that they're marketing to. They're driving people to their website. And here they've got people clicking, downloading a little report on how to know which dog supplement is right for you. They're getting follow-up series, and then they're selling supplements on recurring uh, models, if you like, to their customers, to, to the people that are essentially, the, you know, to, like, taking, like, taking care of the dogs or looking after the dogs. Fascinating. So you mentioned that you really drill down into the ideas when you uh, test these business ideas. Uh, would you say that you're very targeted when it comes to selecting a niche market? And how about how does pricing come in, come into play? Um, when I select a niche market, the most important thing I look for is a problem. Like okay. if there is a problem within that market, a very specific problem, like uh, you know, I'm working with a client right now, a current client who is a general builder like he does great work in people's homes and builds and puts stuff together and stuff paints and decorates and fixes plumbing and and stuff like that and he wants to build an educational business online and we're looking at all the different ideas and all the things that he can do and then we look online and you google specifically what people are selling and doing otherwise and forums to see what people are actually searching for we've got a, we've got a whole list of ideas fixing toilets a painting and redecorating, a decoration guide for, for ladies that, you know, for women specifically that want to pick a builder but don't know how to, all sorts of little guides and ideas that we can put forward. And we look for the one where the problem exists the most. And it seems that there are two. One is people get locked out of the houses and they have issues with the locks and then they have to pay somebody ridiculous amount of money to just come and fix it when they could learn and quickly do it themselves in 10 minutes. And the second is fixing toilet leaks. Again, paying somebody a lot of money just to come over and fix a leak in the toilet uh, that they could fix for five or ten minutes if they had that time and they want, had the interest to learn how to do it themselves. And weird ideas, of course. I mean, I'm just having to read a little guide right now about toilet leaks, something that I would never have been interested in and ever wanted to do. <laughs> but uh, And in the same way, I've done that for so many different ideas. So it's fascinating, all the different contexts and ideas that come. But you can see that ultimately it comes down to problem. If, mm. if there's a problem and if that problem repeats enough, or occurs enough more than any other problem that seems to be in that market and industry, then we go out there and we work on that idea. Is that the Oprah strategy that uh, you talk about? I was I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, I read I read somewhere that you have some different strategies around social media marketing, uh, such as Facebook, including the Oprah strategy. And I was, uh, I was I wanted to ask you what that was, but I, I imagine that it must be something like Oprah must be like the problem solver or something. Uh, the Oprah strategy is something I read. I don't take credit from that. I read, okay. read about heard about it, I think, six or seven years ago from somebody else. And then I went out and shared it also. And the way it works is that when Oprah used to do a TV show and now her other shows, she would literally promote a specific product or book, right? Whenever she had some, an author on and she was promoting the book, it was guaranteed, literally, that the moment she promoted your book, by the very next day, your book would be a bestseller on Amazon or the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or whatever. That's just the reach that she had. It was so incredible that people would listen to her every word and buy her recommendation. That's why she runs the Oprah Book Club, of course. Great books. Books are, is what she credits a lot of her success to. But at the same time, she generated 
a great amount of revenue from the work that she did. So the Oprah strategy says that if Oprah mentions a book that's in some way related to what it is that you're doing or a product, go ahead and advertise uh, and set up advertise campaigns right away, promoting what you're doing, but link it up to Oprah and link it up to the thing that she's mentioned. And you'll see that you're going to get a huge number of clicks in your advertising simply because people go to Google to type in what they're searched for, which is what Oprah's mentioned. Okay, so massive amounts of social proof are very important when it comes to selling things online. Okay. Yeah, I just interviewed my friend Taylor Pearson. He wrote the book, The End of Jobs, and he mentioned the Altucher effect. He was mentioned on James Altucher's podcast, and the paid sales of his book went through the roof. And I've also heard of the Tim Ferriss effect. So I think if you could find a way to get that one really big endorsement, uh, that could catapult the sales and exposure of your product or company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So one other thing I wanted to ask you personally, you mentioned in your Entrepreneur on Fire interview that you had a big failure when you created a membership website, and you started with a free site, and when you started to charge money, you lost about 90% of your clientele. You mentioned that it is your worst entrepreneurial moment. Could you tell me a little bit about that, and what were some of the lessons learned? How did it make you a better entrepreneur? I basically, you remember I, I told you at the beginning of my story that I got to the point in 2009 when I was slightly getting disjointed about my music business. I was getting bored with, with, with what I had done. I'd make, I was making good money out of it, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't making me come alive. And at the same time, I felt like I had taught everything I needed to teach to musicians. You know, I felt like I would created course after course or book after book or whatever on getting more gigs and selling more CDs and getting more exposure, you know, and there's only so much you can say about that, to be very honest. So I had to find another way. I felt like I was in this overdrive mode where business was going great. I had to find another way to add some other level of intricacy that I could retain people to pay on a regular basis. And I had this massive database of 140,000 musicians, which I could do something with. So I decided on a membership side. And a lot of people, a lot of people, I even used to subscribe to, I used to subscribe to Dan Kennedy's newsletter, a lot of different newsletters. And I thought it was a great idea, you know, bringing people together for community purposes and keeping their, give them together. And so uh, I set up a membership site. And the purpose of this membership site was to bring everyone together in a forum and also send them a newsletter every single month. And in order to incentivize them, I made a mistake. I, and this was the mistake, I offered all of my best products uh, to attract people to a free trial of this membership site. Uh, it was really silly, I mean, looking back on it and speaking about it right now, but really that's what I thought would work best at the time, to offer my best stuff to get people in for a month uh, for free and then start billing them $12 a month and at one point even $19 a month. And so um, I got a lot of people in, don't get me wrong, I got, I got thousands of people in. But after the very first month, the drop rate, instead of being something like 20 to 25%, was 50%. And after that, by the third month, 90% of people had gone. And the reason they had stayed, uh, the reason they had gone, first of all, is because they got all the free stuff that I'd given them, which is really what excited them. And I didn't drip them the free stuff, I gave it all to them. And if I dripped it, I would, could have kept them for a lot longer. The other thing was that after three months uh, of writing a newsletter, the whole point was that I was bored of... Um, I was bored of creating content. So the idea of actually putting together an eight-page newsletter every month, for some reason, it excited me. But that excitement had been lost so quickly and in, in a very short space of time that really I felt like 
okay, I can't do this anymore. And so my writing became really bad. I got somebody else to write, and that lost me a lot of subscribers also. Then I let that person go, and I couldn't keep it up. And so I decided inevitably to shut down and restore, if you like, all the website pages from before the membership uh, where I would have all the products selling and have all that uh, going there live. So I think I estimate like I lost at least ten to twelve thousand dollars just doing that, even if not more. You know, in in just that experiment. Ten to twelve thousand dollars. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so how do you do things differently? What have you learned most? Uh, if if you could just uh, save the listener uh, ten to twelve thousand dollars in terms of making a similar mistake. Yeah, I mean the first thing is that if you're going to give away your whole shop, you've got to give it away smartly enough. That's specifically from that. I mean you've got to give it away in a way that they get stuff on a regular basis as opposed to getting everything in one go and then they just leave. I see. Um, the other thing is I would start selling annual memberships, uh, and I think annual memberships are the way to go for anybody doing membership sites. If you do membership sites or membership programs, incentivize them a huge amount. I mean even if it's three, four months worth of savings, you know, forego the three, four months for the annual payment because every year you can automate the payments – and sometimes people will, will whether they remember or not, it doesn't matter, but you can re- recur that payment. I mean, I pay my travel insurance. Travel insurance is a recurring membership. I've been paying it for the last four years. Every single um, worldwide, worldwide insurance with every single thing included in it, I pay like the highest package because I travel a lot and, uh, and for different reasons and purposes. And so every single year, a month before, they send me an email and a week before, they send me a letter to say, we're going to be renewing it. If you don't want to renew it, call us. Do I call them? No. Does my premium generally stay the same? Yes, because it's an annual billing. Have they made four years' worth of income for me? Absolutely. And so if they did that every month, month after month, and I saw in my statement, you know, this much money going out every single month, uh, it would start to I would start it would start to eat at me a little while to say, oh well, I know it's just only this much money and it's travel insurance, but I might as well just buy it later on, you know, or per trip. It just makes sense to do things annually. And then the other thing is that. If you want to do membership sites, you have to be incredibly committed or find a team member or a staff or a writer to be the person that is the consistency in the business because it requires consistency. And I didn't have the energy to to give that at that point. So you have to do something that you're most interested in. And if you're not interested in creating content or you find it too difficult on a regular basis, then it's okay. You don't have to – there's other business models. You don't have to do that business model. Fantastic. Well, we've covered a lot of things in this interview. We talked about the characteristics of successful entrepreneurs. We talked about marketing, and we talked about different business models. Apart from everything that we've discussed in this interview, what else would you say holds people back from becoming successful entrepreneurs? Fear. There is nothing else except fear that holds people back. And fear shows shows up in different ways, and it doesn't call itself fear. So it shows up um, as excuses sometimes. It shows up as, oh, I don't have enough money to start a business, which is, which is rubbish because, you know, to start a business online is very, very cheap. I mean, you need a domain, hosting, a very simple system like Aweber to manage your email, and then you can be up with a blog and, and you can start doing all of that yourself. You don't really need to invest in something if you don't have the money, but it's not a reason not to start something. Uh, the second thing, and second way fear shows up is when it tells you that you don't have a good enough business idea, which again could be an excuse because, you know, that, that's just what it is. So many people have so many different ideas that they feel like I have this idea and I have that idea, but I don't know which is the best idea. And then they turn that into, okay, that's creating me to be, that's making me stuck where I am and I don't want to do something because I don't know what my best idea is. Again, that's fear speaking. 
Fear shows up in so many different ways. It's just unbelievable. Uh, fear holds fear holds you back from from reaching out to people you know who can actually help you, who can be partners, who can have you on their podcast show, who can, who can do, who can have you write on their blog post. That's all fear, uh, because we think that person is better than us, that person is bigger than us. Everybody has been through the exact same journey, you know, to be successful. Uh, except those that have maybe been handed it on a plate, but also they in their lives have had various different setbacks. So they know what it's like to go from nothing to something. And so everybody will really have the empathy to understand where you're coming from if you share what it is that you want to share. And ultimately fear, as we all know, is false evidence appearing real. F-E-A-R. <laughs> and, uh, I've, um, also, I've also heard uh, forever evading another reality. <laughs> That's the first time I've heard that. That's fantastic. <laughs> Well, this, this was an excellent interview. Thank you for sharing so much knowledge with uh, our listeners. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, my pleasure. It's been a great interview. We shared a lot. <laughs> uh, so if there's any other way that uh, someone would want to get more from you, what do you recommend? Uh, my website is insiderinternetsuccess.com, I-N-S-I-D-E-R, internetsuccess.com. I would love for you to come and have a look at some of our case studies. There's a big orange button on that first page that gives you that says "Show me the case studies," and if you click "Show me the case studies," uh, I'm going to send you a book that has nine full full length case studies of people that have done pretty well, you know, following this path to build a business online. You can download that guide, read their stories, and my hope is that it inspires you to do something uh, for yourself that's big, bold, and and ultimately getting you to freedom that you need. Excellent. So that's insiderinternetsuccess.com, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And you also have an opt-in offer for an ebook. Is that correct? That's what I meant. Yeah. So if you click "Show Me the Case Studies," okay, uh, that, that's exactly what I was talking about. You can um, okay. you can go ahead and and download all the case study books that we have, and just look through them. You know, <laughs> in my opinion, the best way that I've ever grown my business is, and the the thing that has excited me the most is to share my case studies because that's celebrating our clients, our successes. And if we can do that for them, you know, we can do that for you. So, you know, go ahead and have a look. Be inspired. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kavit. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.